Father, as we come now to open your word together, we ask that through your Holy Spirit you would work in our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We are in the Gospel of Matthew, and we've been working into the Sermon on the Mount, focusing on the Beatitudes at this point. We've gone through verses 3, 4, and 5, uh, looking at poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek. And I'd like just to do a quick review there before we, we go into it, but uh, I'd just read the verses 2 through 6 together this morning. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The Beatitudes, I've I've shared it already several times, but it's uh, worth repeating several times, and that is that uh, many... uh, commentators and, and, and uh, theologians through the times, actually, over the history of the church, have seen the Beatitudes and, and the Sermon on the Mount as a Christian manifesto. Um, one put it as, it's the manifesto of Christ, which would be saying the same thing. And the idea is, is that if you want to look for a, a, a concise way of looking at what Jesus would say a Christian lifestyle should be, you can look at the Sermon on the Mount what it means to be a child of the kingdom of God, you can look at the Sermon on the Mount and get a good idea of what is involved in walking with Christ. And it's not going to happen until you begin with, like it is in verse 3, that you are poor in spirit. And I'm not going to go over that in detail other than that to be poor in spirit is to recognize your sin before the throne of God. In other words, I have nothing. I I am bankrupt. I have nothing that I can bring to the throne of God that will allow me to have access to the kingdom. I have sin in my life. The wages of sin is death. And I am a man undone. I'm a man with unclean lips. I need a miracle. Isaiah understood that. And Jesus has provided that miracle. He has provided our salvation through the cross he has atoned, our, paid for our sins. He's redeemed us in such a way we can stand before God through Him and be seen in our future context, if you will, as pure and righteous and saved and children of the kingdom of God. Jesus stands as our mediator before the throne of God continuously on our behalf. So we come with that understanding. Poor in spirit is that point where you recognize, I need a Savior. I'm undone. I, I'm, I'm helplessly, hopelessly lost. As God opens our eyes, we begin to mourn, coming into the second part, that we begin to mourn over our sin. We begin to have God's heart about what sin is and realize that, first off, we are sinners, but it even grows to that point where we mourn over the sin of the world as well. And... Uh, I don't know how many times I've heard great prayer warriors of, 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 and that were pastors and, and leaders in their church in the, in, in the history of the church 
at different times have wept over the condition of the world or the condition of a county or the condition of a city uh, because they see the sin. Not only do they see the sin of the city, but they see their own inadequacies and realize they need the Holy Spirit. It's a full context of mourning, having grief over sin. He says that if you're poor in spirit, you're going to, and you come to that point of needing the Savior, and you have a Savior, the king, you're going to have the kingdom of heaven. It's going to be yours. If you mourn, he says, you will be comforted. Where do we find our comfort? Well, the reality that we are at peace with God. And the reality that God is seeking others and could use us. It's an amazing thing. People say, why do we even go out and, and witness if God's got everything figured out and he's got this great plan from beginning? To... I, I, you know, I don't always have an answer, but the one thing I do know is that it is an amazing thing that he has decided that as he embraces us as his children... He wants us to be part of the process. Part of the building of the church together so that we are part of it. It is ours. It is His. It is, it's, it's we. You know, and, and, and we're together in this. And it's always amazed me that God would even use us. But that is part of His plan, the way He's put it together. Well, those who are poor they realize that they need a Savior who who become children of the kingdom of God as they mourn over their sin. And the idea is, is that also they are to be meek. And I, the word meek has so many connotations, but I just will say it does not equal milk toast. Now, all of a sudden I realized, somebody said a couple of weeks ago to me, what's milk toast? <laughs> <laughs> the only people really laughing are the old people in here, Okay. Milk toast is what you had for breakfast instead of cereal. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of cinnamon and sugar on it and, and some, some milk, and, and that, was, that was breakfast. Uh, so, milk toast is it, it, what happens to the idea is what happens to the toast when it gets covered by the milk. Yeah. It, it just it becomes soggy. You know, originally you can hold a piece of toast like this, it becomes soggy. Okay. Back. With no backbone is the idea of that idea of milk toast, okay? This isn't that word. In the sense of using it, Jesus was meek, and I've made that point, I hope, very, very clear when we went over this, that obviously he was not lacking backbone, he was not lacking courage, he was not lacking boldness, uh, but what he was, was humble. Think about it. It says very clearly in Philippians, he humbled himself, he emptied himself to become a man. On our behalf, he humbled himself. Jesus took, and I, and I, I use this phrase frequently, I'm third attitude. God is first. He said, I'm here uh, uh, doing what the Father tells me to do. I am teaching you what the Father says to me. He took that position, subordinate position, the Son, and he went with it as as I'm third, because the idea was God is first. He didn't see himself as number two even in that context. He put us number two and took the I'm third position and died for us. We are to have that same attitude. God is first, the other man is second, I'm third. When these things start to work in us and 
if you are saved, these things will work in you. They're not going to be stagnant, meaning that, that uh, you know, you can become a Christian, say yes, raise your hand at some uh, point in time, and, and, and then walk away and be the same person you always were. I just don't see that as the, the bounds or the basis of salvation because the, the idea is that there will be a transformation that begins in you. As you are poor in spirit, you, that's how you become really saved. I don't see how you can become that person poor in spirit and go back to the way you were. I don't see how you can mourn over your sin and go back to the way you were. I don't see how you can be meek and humble and take that position and go back to the way you were. There is a transformation in progress. Uh, a change of priority starts to happen. Your appetite changes, if you will. And the reason why we use, I'm using the word appetite is because Jesus uses words that have to deal with appetite. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Physical terms that we can really understand. Think about what it is to hunger and thirst. Now, I don't know if anybody in here has ever truly been hungry and thirsty to the fullest extent of what these words could mean. Because the idea is, 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 is even tied indirectly to a thought of even gluttony. You know, a person who is uns- can't be satisfied, you know. Uh, this, this hunger, I just... I, I, I can't get enough of it. And, uh, and, and yet here we have this, this Jesus using these terms, hunger and thirst, as physical terms that we can identify. Um, you know, maybe you've uh, done a, a lengthy fast at some point, and you know what it is to be uh, a little bit hungry. Um, it's amazing that... that, that you know, we, we have, uh, uh, in my mind, it is amazing that we have people in our culture because of, of the, the country we live in, and we have people in our country that actually go to bed hungry. Uh, it's it, it mind-boggling to me that that can happen in our country. I recall a, a, a pastor, uh, well, a, a, a group who had a ministry in Chicago, and, and uh, I remember, uh, actually it was a singing group, the lead singer, commenting that he thought it was a disgrace that an old woman died in Chicago of cold in her apartment, froze to death, because she couldn't afford the heat. And that he said, where's the church? <laughs> you know, and he was part of a group that was ministering to the inner city and bringing resources to, to bear in a way of, of getting churches together to, to minister in the inner city of Chicago. Um, I don't know hunger. I don't know thirst in the, in the sense of having to have done without. That's quite an obvious, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and I've got my bottle of water right here. But the idea was that we would understand that our, you know, our priorities, what we hunger for in life, Changes. The things that are important to you change. The righteousness of Christ becomes your desire. 
And we have his righteousness in the sense of his covering through, through accepting him as our Savior. We are seen as righteous. We are seen as, as justified. But this righteousness is seeking after holiness. The holiness of Christ. Christ-likeness. This is where you would probably say, you know, uh, and, and I recall uh, one person once uh, even thinking that as I preached a, a, sermon, a sermon on a, a, some parallel thoughts here a number of years ago, thought I was a holiness pastor, you know. Uh, well, I think we all should be holiness people. I don't know what theology you want to put with that. I'm just looking at it in a plain, simple phrase. Holiness. You know, holiness people. A people of holiness. A people who desire holiness in our lives. That's what he's talking about. People who hunger and thirst after uh, righteousness uh, have that attitude almost of, fill me, Lord, or I'll die. I, I, I need you in my life. I need your holiness, your righteousness in my life. And, and so what he's talking about is the food for our spirit, our soul, our spirit. What is the food for our spirit? It's the righteousness of Christ. Where do we understand and see and learn of the righteousness of Christ? In the Word of God. I, I know that when Brad was reading through the Scripture this morning, uh, he made a comment of that. You know, you, you, you can't you know, have the things that, this, that, that you have in the sense of being in the presence of God and, and seeking to have that, that holy attitude without searching his scriptures, without studying his scriptures, without meditating on his scriptures. We, we accept the word of God as God breathed. This is the source of information, the revelation of God, of himself, his holiness, and it reveals to us our sinfulness. Maybe sometimes that's why we don't like to see it, and sometimes they there are certain passages that, that you, you kind of wish you could jump over, but as you read them, the Holy Spirit convicts you and you realize these are meant for me too. And you come to that point where you start to desire and want this transformation, offering yourself as a living sacrifice that you might not be conformed to the world, but transformed. Okay? That we will be transformed in God's holiness, in, in, in Christ's holiness, by the Word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Most of the world hears the word righteousness uh, from a Christian especially, and they immediately think of, of self-righteousness in a sense of, oh, you're one of those, uh, holier than thou, uh, uh, narrow-minded, prudish people. And uh, in some ways, there's a truth there. I am narrow-minded. I have very specific ideas about what the Scripture says because I think the Scripture is very specific about what it says. I am not homophobic, but I am anti-homosexual relationships. I believe that, that uh, uh, husbands and wives uh, and marriage is the place where sex is to be practiced and not outside of that relationship. There are certain things that I, I bring to, you know, that come over and over and over again that our culture has become very lax in, and even the church in some ways, that I am confident the Word of God has very specific instructions on. So in that sense, yeah, I'm, I guess I am narrow-minded because I see that the righteousness of Christ is very specific. The righteousness of the Word of God is very specific. 
So it's some, <laughs> sometimes we even take the attitude of, well, how much do I need to, to stay in grace? How much do I need to stay saved? <laughs> you know, or, to, or, or how much do I need to do just to say, even if I'm saved, to stay in a right relationship with God? How far can I go with worldliness and still be considered poor and, 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 and uh, mourning over my sin and meek? And I think as soon as we say how far I can go, we're, we're, we're setting those things aside. We're looking for that line that keeps us at the, kind of at the edge of the world with that attitude, well, the world is having a, 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 an amazing time of joy and I'm, I'm left out. <laughs> but the Scripture says our greatest joy is supposed to be resting in Christ to be seeking the holiness of Christ, to be seeking the face of Christ. We sing those songs, we read those uh, verses of, of, of our heart's desire to seek after the face of God and, and ask God to fill us, to change us. We need to ask God to develop in us an attitude of seeking His face. A desire to seek His face. A. Carson has uh, a, a simple definition here. He says, Seeking righteousness is to pursue a pattern of life in conformity to God's will. Let me repeat that. I thought it was pretty significant because it was just so simple. Seeking righteousness is to pursue a pattern of life in conformity to God's will. And immediately you start to say, oh, God's will. What is God's will? And you start to think, have you ever known his will? <laughs> well, if you're saved, you, yeah, yeah, you have. <laughs> um, I think that sometimes we get so caught up with looking at the, the outward picture of, of seeking God's will. Um, what college, what job, what place, what... And, and what we ignore is the things that have already become obvious in His Word. Are we doing the things His Word says that we know to do? I'm kind of of the, of the mind that when you're doing the things that God's Word is, is convicted you of, and by the way, that never stops. I don't care how long you walk with the Lord, and there are some of you in here who have walked with the Lord a long time, I'm, uh, you know, I, I consider myself sometimes now kind of that middle-aged person in the Lord. You know, I, I'm in that that uh, approaching that 40-year mark of being a Christian. Uh, you know, and I'm realizing more and more the little things in my life that are still out of sync with God that never bothered me before have become things that God is saying. But if you put that aside and put me in its place. How much more could we be together? How much closer could we be? How much more would you know who I am? Seeking the face of God and to come to know Him, I believe, is an eternal quest, not just a lifetime quest. He is eternal. No beginning, no end. I, I, I believe I'm going to, we will, as believers, as, as children of God in the kingdom of heaven and the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to be seeking to know the fullness of God. And, and even after 10,000 years, it's going to be like like the first time we came to it in a sense of the, the enthusiasm because it just keeps coming.
pursue Him, to pursue His Word, to become that I'm third attitude person, a transformation from self-absorbed to God-absorbed, to others-absorbed. In other words, you, you actually you, you, you start to think about the needs of other people ahead of yourself. I put it as simply as I could, seeking right relationships with God, man, and yourself. And uh, uh, being, you know, I, I, I don't know how else to say it, I guess, is what I'm, I'm looking at here. A transformation from self-absorbed to God-absorbed to others-absorbed uh, is... is that I'm third attitude, you're going to end up as one who is satisfied. And it's satisfaction in the sense of, of not satisfied as to there's nothing left to seek, but satisfied in the sense of you are at peace and joy and, and, and happy about where you are in your relationship with God. You're satisfied. Now, the interesting thing about being satisfied is that it's going to actually create a desire to pursue Him all the more. A lifetime of pursuing God's holiness. In 1 Corinthians, or I mean, excuse me, in Colossians chapter 1, uh, there's two verses that I've referred to many times over the years. Uh, it's a prayer of Paul as he prays for the Colossians. And very specifically, he asks for something for them. And it starts in verse 9 of Colossians chapter 1. And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul's prayer for the, the Colossians is that they would be first filled with the knowledge of God's will. And with that, the spiritual wisdom and understanding of what to do with it. Okay, how, again, how do we get filled with the knowledge of, of the will of God? By studying His Word. Uh, it, and, we, and please, don't misunderstand. I, prayer is an intricate part of this. I'm not emphasizing that right now, but it is an intricate part of you know praying, asking the Holy Spirit to open your heart as you read the Word. But the idea is getting into the Word of God. Filled with His knowledge and, and seeing what His will is from His Word. Asking the, the Lord for all spiritual wisdom. Notice He puts it spiritual wisdom. To have the Holy Spirit giving you the wisdom to understand. Jesus said that He was giving us the comforter for the very purpose that we would be able to understand and recall the things that He has said. And so that idea of, of, of being taught and, 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 and tutored, if you will, by the Holy Spirit as you read to come to an understanding that is that of the Spirit opening your heart. The result would be that you would walk, in uh, verse 10, in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, pleasing to the Lord. Bearing fruit in every good work. How, 
Paul later on says in, in, in Colossians, we are to do all things to the glory of, uh, in, in, the, in the glory of God, to the glory of God, basically. Turning everything into that sense of ministry, my job, my relationship with my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, that as I come to them, I come wanting to bear Christ with me, that they may see and know. Bearing fruit in every good work. Increasing, and as a result, increasing in the knowledge of God. And I thought, well, increasing in the knowledge of God, as you increase, that's going to continue to develop this this desire to, to use it and to apply it, which is going to desire, you know, put you in a position where you're going to want to walk even closer to the Lord, more worthy, if you will. And, and, and it creates this cycle. Oh, well, I'm, that I'm going to grow in the knowledge of God. Oh, well, then I'm going to understand His will better. Therefore, I'm going to apply more of it to my life. It's a constant moving towards the throne of God. Not worrying about drawing a line of keeping yourself out of the world, but just focusing on the cross. Focusing on the Word of God. Focusing on, on God and His holiness. Not worried about, you know, we, we can spend more time sometimes what we shouldn't be doing and, and dwelling on that in the sense of just, you know, instead, and, and not spending enough time just worshiping, reading, and praying. Again, I said that this hunger and thirst would cause you to desire to walk in a sense that is worthy of God. This isn't to earn anything. I'm not wanting to do this so that I can be loved more by God. I'm not trying to do this that I might earn more with God in the sense of, of, of my position in heaven somehow. What I'm doing is what Christ is talking about is that, is, is that we're being transformed. This should be, it becomes something that we can actually measure. Is this happening in my life? If it's not happening in my life, why not? I think that's an important question to ask yourself. Why not? There's a parallel passage to this for me, and I, I, I call it, in a sense, my my fallback psalm. There's a couple of them that are my my psalms that I use frequently in my personal life. But this one is Psalm 1. Just the first three verses looking at them. And, as, and again, the word blessed. Uh, you know, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but he delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. You see that? This is the attitude that, that Christ wants to build in us. The Holy Spirit wants to bring in us. Is this attitude of that the Word of God comes to us whenever we are thinking about a need or thinking of, uh, through the day. It's not that it just all of a sudden comes to us when we sit down to read the Word, but that we're so reading the Word that it causes us to wrestle with it, think about it in situations throughout the day. How would the Word of God address this? Oh, or, or how, you know, and 
how should I look to uh, doing this from a Christian point of view? What, what, what's the Word of God say? And if you don't know, then you start studying again. People will call and, 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 and uh, ask me you know, uh, certain things, and, and they want to know where, where something's found in a scripture, what the address of a particular scripture is, and stuff. But, you know, there's a little book called The Promises of God. It's a really neat little book, and it has about 800 promises that God makes and, and stuff like that to us. But it has topic headings in the back that you can just go and you can look it up and say, oh, trust, oh, uh, forgiveness, oh, you know, and you just go down the line and, and look up some scriptures that have to do with that. Find a place to start to read to start to study. And it's amazing how that, those, those little aids will help. They're, they're in almost every study program that's on the, on the, on the, online that you can get. Uh, you know, almost every software one ha- uh, that has a study program has one of those. And I tell people, you know, that's not a wrong thing to, to use an index someplace to help you find the scriptures that you want to look at to see if those are the ones that will help you wrestle with the things you're wrestling with. But this idea of meditating is to wrestle, not just to think about, but to wrestle with. How do I use these? How do they apply to my life? And then as you come through life uh, situations, you will see how they apply as you've wrestled with them already. And you have a better, you know, oh, I see how. I had a friend. Uh, went to, he was working in Arcata at the, at the, at the city of Arcata. Uh, and he uh, was walking past a homeless guy every single day. It was you know, almost, that guy was pretty, pretty regular at this location. And uh, he was asking for money. And my friend was not one to give money to homeless people. And he, 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 and, and, and he quite candidly was one who more had the attitude, you know, if you had enough energy to get over here, you probably could have got a job. You know, I mean, he just, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden God started speaking to him in the sense of saying, his situation you haven't, don't know because you haven't talked to him. So he stopped one day to talk with him, found out some of the things that had happened in his life. Who knows, maybe he was being conned. Some of these guys are amazing con artists. They speak Christianese, some of them, really, really well. They know all the right Christian things to say because they've been to enough churches. They've been to enough rescue missions. But my friend, you know, he listened and he said, oh, okay, I, you know, I haven't been there. And, and, and kind of that attitude, how do I minister to this guy? And that night he prayed for him. The next morning, when he and, and my friend is extremely frugal, he is a brown bagger for his lunch. He does not believe in going spending you know six, seven, ten, twelve bucks for lunch when you can do it for a dollar and a half uh, in your in, a, in your lunch box. He made a second lunch, and he started making a second lunch every morning. And when he saw that guy, he gave it to him, and and sometimes he went home occasionally with the second lunch, but uh, he started giving that guy a lunch every morning. And there was a sense of peace in my friend as he ministered to him, and he got more opportunity to share. He doesn't know what his words would do. I was taken advantage of. Surprise. Um, I am one of those people who, I, you know, I, 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 I kind of can't help myself. That's why they don't allow me to touch the money at church. 
And and uh, the this guy, we, we back when we could still offer jobs to people. Uh, people, by the way, we can't do that anymore at churches. We can't. It's it's very unsafe to offer a job to a homeless person. Because they're not a party, the insurance companies have all sorts of loopholes now that they didn't have back then. And if he falls and hurts himself, the church is going to be the liability, not the insurance. It's crazy. Okay? They did that because this has been constant. There's guys that just know how to fall. Okay? They know, some of them, they know how to get hit by a car, whatever. Well, we put this guy to work uh, uh, sanding and, 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 you know, preparing a fence to be painted at a church. And he fell off the ladder. Hurt his back. And uh, he was going to sue. And the insurance company settled with him for $1,500. It was far cheaper for them to do that than to, to go through a hassle. I don't, and this guy apparently had a track record. We didn't know. A few year, years later, he comes through town again. And I thought, well, this time I'll take him to lunch. And we'll try figuring that one out. Then, and nothing other than, you know, he accepted the lunch, ate, and went on his way. I don't know why he kept thinking that he could get, you know, I, I guess he recognized that a soft touch when he saw it because he called me again. Kathy rolled her eyes as she handed me the phone. <laughs> it was, he starts telling me that his Mother has had a heart attack in Idaho. He needs to get to Idaho and he needs the money to get there. Can I help him? So I got the details, called. Sure enough, his mother had a heart attack in Idaho. At least the woman he said it was his mother. Guess what I did? I went to the Greyhound in Eureka to get him a bus ticket from Rose, uh, uh, Santa Rosa to Idaho. Probably about eight or nine years ago, got a phone call. Kathy rolls her eyes as she hands me the phone. I hadn't heard from him for a long time. He wanted to tell me, first off, how sorry he was for all the years that he had taken advantage of me. but that my faithfulness in loving Christ and loving him through Christ, he said, I just want you to know I'm not asking you for anything. I just want to tell you I'm in a rehab place and I've accepted the Lord as my Savior. I'm still getting goosebumps telling the story. You don't know. What you, what, what I'm trying to say is to develop an attitude of just compassion and, 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 and desire. You know, uh, and and I don't mean that you should give to every homeless person you see, and 
and, and all those things. And I'm not saying that you have to have the same level of compassion that I have or the ability to, you know, I, I, I pray that you will have better discernment than me. Okay? But, but the idea that I'm trying to get at is, is what my friend and Arcata had shown me and other people and my own experience has been. The issue is, how, how can I minister to anybody, any place, anywhere, anytime? I've been in the hospital. I don't know how many times. I know one thing. If you want a ministry that, 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 that is demanding and, uh, and, and maybe, you know, you know, not as a chaplain, but just as a person sitting in the hallway willing to take prayer, you'd be amazed. You'll have a line. I go in the hospital and pray for somebody in one bed, and the lady next door says, would you pray for me? The nurse comes in and says, you know, there's a person down the hall that would like somebody to come pray for them. A family that I don't know, whose son has, has had an aneurysm, uh, is, in, is brain dead, and the doctor's advice is to unplug. They don't know what to do. We pray, we talk about it, we talk with the doctor. I'm, I've never seen these people before, you know. And after we were done doing all of that, the decision was put it in the hands of the Lord, unplug. Doctor said he'll die probably it'll, it, you know, in the next 48 hours. I had never been in a room where a person had died yet in my life. And he died in seven minutes. For the first time, I was with a family in grief. I wasn't even in the ministry yet far as vocationally. But I'm confident if you hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God, if you're reading his word and, and meditating and wrestling with it, you will not be able to stop yourself from seeing needs around you where God wants to minister. I will err more frequently possibly on the side of, of giving ministry where ministry might be enabling rather than than. than uh, you know, really needed in some cases. But that doesn't bother me. I, I, it just It's not an issue with me. But I know that I know that I know how many times God has let me see things around me, bring Scripture to mind, put Scripture in my way, and even at times beat me over the head with the word in order to get me to do what is right. And one of them you are familiar with, my stepmom. I, my stepmom, terminally ill, and she went to live with her, her daughter in Florida. I don't know how to put it. It's like putting two ladies, you know, I, I, they, 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 they were so opposite of each other, they just couldn't. My sister sent her home. My mom was in a wheelchair. She sent her home unescorted. She was so upset and mad. And uh, I get a call from my mom's neighbor. During this time, God was beating me over the head with a, a couple of scriptures that, uh, I needed, that I needed to let go of the ministry that I was in. I said, but I can't. I'm obligated to this, 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 and this. Guess what scripture he brings to mind? Corbin. I had to look it up uh, to make sure I got the full understanding. But what he says is, you're, you're saying your ministry is more important than your mother. You sound like a Pharisee. And I realized, 
Kathy and I realized. Some of you understand this because you were there when we did it. We left Humboldt County and went and took care of my mom. She couldn't come up here. The weather was too humid and too damp for her. She had lung cancer. And Kathy and I, our kid, box, stock, and barrel, moved. We didn't have a job to go to, but we were confident that God had said, you have to go. God did some amazing things during that time, both for me and for my mom. We actually settled some issues. I want to encourage you. Are you hungering and thirsting after the word of God? And it's a progressive process. But you know, the result is, is, is what he says here in, in, in Psalm 1, what will happen to you if, if, if you really hunger and thirst and you meditate on the word of God, you wrestle with the word of God, and it, and it becomes your delight, your, the thing you hunger and thirst after. He says, you are going to be like a tree. Verse 3 of Psalm 1. You are going to be like a tree firmly planted or uh, solidly planted is that idea of the word planted there. It means literally to be uprooted and planted again. Okay? And it's, when it says by streams of water, it's a little misleading because the word streams there is canals. And, and it really does mean the idea of something created for a purpose. Okay? The tree is being transplanted in a garden to be watered by something that has been created just to water it. That's what is to be understood, really, by this, this, this picture of this verse. I will be like a tree that God has uprooted out of the world, transplanted into his kingdom, and watered with his canal, with his stream, the living water. As a result, I will yield the fruit God wants me to yield in its time, in its season. And he says, my leaf does not wither. I'm not even sure yet what that completely means. Other than you will, as long as you are doing what God wants you to do, he will give you the ability to sustain and be strong to do it. He will provide the resource. You know, you won't have to shrink back. And whatever he does, he prospers. This has nothing to do with, with the name it and claim it and success-oriented Christian movement. Whatever he does prospers. Why? Because if you're hungering and thirsting after the word of God and you're meditating on it on day and night and you're wrestling with it and it's becoming a part of you and it's transforming you to that point where you desire to do the will of God and you're seeking his word to know what that is, you see how this all comes together. As a result, the end thing that starts to happen is that you are doing the purpose of God and you will be successful. And it won't be success the way the world sees it. It's interesting. Missionaries in, in, in cultures where they have been sent, where they have been two and three generations and not seen any fruit, churches abandoning them left and right, and all of a sudden, boom! And whole villages start coming to their knees for Jesus Christ. I, I get, I, there's so many of those wonderful, awesome stories. We've got a prayer list of, of people in our, in, our, in our bulletin, of people that, for salvation. Are they a part of your prayer list? You realize, I always throw this out at you. My grandmother prayed for me every single day. In fact, I had four grandmas. Three of them were Christian, and three of them prayed for me every single day. Only one of them lived 
to see me as a Christian. I'm convinced the others know and celebrated that day as there is a celebration of saying heaven. Okay, but I'm thinking now, my grandmother was praying, and what my, my grandmother prayed when she, I wasn't in, were anywhere near her and away from her, God would bring someone across my path that would open my eyes. Her prayer was answered absolutely exactly. Um, but, but I'm thinking, is there a grandmother in, in, in uh, Maryland who has a grandson in Fortuna? who she's praying for. And could it be that God wants to use me to answer her prayer? Have you ever thought about praying to be the answer to prayer? It's part of it. I want to encourage you. What all of this is to bring us to is, who are you dependent on? Where do you find your delight in, in life? What is your... We save the, the joy of Christ, the joy of God, the joy of His Word in our life, and, and yet we don't seem to really reflect that very often. I just want to encourage you. Is this the thing you're reflecting in your life? Does it show? And if it's not there, again, this is something we can measure. Where is my hunger? Where is my thirst? Where are my delights? What are the things I'm seeking after most? And who is it that I want to bless the most? Like, God, glorify God. But I'll tell you, the, the next person in line is I want to bless my wife. That's who God has put me with as two, two as one. That's my next line of responsibility. And not because it, it benefits me, although it does. But to see a smile on her face. To be frustrated when her life is frustrating to learn how to turn the TV off and hear her. I used to put it on mute, and then they started doing all that deaf stuff where you know the, the, the words are still there. So I, I had to just turn it off. Almost everything's going to rerun anyway. And now you can go watch it on demand afterwards. So, uh, yeah, you can catch it. Bev Earhart. Some of you know her. Her granddaughter at the age of four, uh, as she, Bev was sitting at the counter doing the books for their business, pulling on her grandma, asking questions. And it was kind of like, you know, W.C. Fields time. Get away, kid. You're bothering me. You know, most of the people in here probably don't even know who that is. Uh, but anyway, you know, and, 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 and just uh, that idea of stop bothering me, and, and, and it just hit her like a ton of bricks. God has never refused her access because he was busy. Took a whole different attitude toward her granddaughter's needs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when, when you take on the responsibility of raising your granddaughters, uh, you want to be everything that God wants you to be. And that was her goal. Did she make a big mis any big mistakes? Yeah, she'll tell you all about them. But, Again, just simple little things sometimes. Of realizing what it is to let Christ work through you. We do all of this because the love that God has shown us. We celebrate it every time we take communion together. 
God of all creation humbled himself and became flesh. And so we have the bread. And not only did he become flesh, but he came to serve. And as he served, he came to die. To pour out his blood. And he asks that as often as we would do these emblems and share them together, that we do them in the remembrance of him until he comes again. We celebrate even at communion the reality. It is not over. It is only beginning. I think of, of amazing grace. 10,000 years. And it's only just begun. Would you, the ushers come, pass the communion out. Um, hold it until we've all been served and we'll, we'll share together.
I said, we bring nothing to the table to boast except Jesus Christ and His grace. His poured out blood, His sacrificed body. The night that He was betrayed, He took bread and said, this is my body broken for you. And I think in the fullness of what that meant, my body has been humbled and, and, and come, become man in every aspect of what He did in the flesh. He did it for us always pointing towards the cross. I love that tapestry that we put up at Christmas time where it shows the manger scene and outside a star that has the shining the shining of the cross within it. And, you know, because that was the plan before the foundation of the world. The God of all creation would become a man and sacrifice. And he asked us as often as we would share this bread together to do it in remembrance of him. second part of this memorial that he left us is the cup of, of, of wine, the fruit of the vine. And he asked that we would see it now as his blood poured out to purchase the covenant, the covenant of grace that we rest in. And again, to do it until he comes again in remembrance of him. Father, again, we come Even, even those of us who rest in your grace, we come asking forgiveness, Lord, because we know that uh, there isn't a day go by that we, we fall short. But always amaze and keep us that way, Lord, that you have put it together in such a way that as soon as we confess, it's, 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 it's done. And not in the sense of, of, of saving us over and over and over again, but the reality of, of strengthening the bond between us as we rest in our salvation. And Father, we ask, Lord, that as you pour out your grace, as you have poured out your grace, as you continue to pour out your grace, cause us to, to be sensitive with your eyes, your ears, your heart, your hands to a world around us. We worship you, we love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.